the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a radio show dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions and life questions and anything that's on your heart. All you need to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. You can email your questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And if you are driving in your car on this really cold Monday, March 1st, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app uh, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number, one more time, is 340-9585. You know, I was thinking March 1st. Today, by the way, uh, Paula and, and, and my oldest son, Ronnie, uh, it's his 48th birthday today. And um, truly, our life changed on this day 48 years ago. I remember Paula thinking, I'm a baby, having a baby. She was so afraid. She was just, she thought it was unlawful that the hospital would let her go home with the baby, that they would trust her with the baby. But we really, really, um, um, God used that boy to keep us together. Um, It was a miracle. It really was a miracle. So, Ronnie, I know you're not listening because you're not in Texas, but happy birthday. God bless you, my dear son. Okay, let's get to some questions and some phone calls. Oh, by the way, tonight is our men's and women's and youth Bible studies at 7 o'clock. You're more than welcome uh, to join us. Um, The ladies will be live streamed at... um, Online at calvaryessay.com. Let's go to Dustin on line one from Lano, Texas. Dustin, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, uh, Pastor uh, Pastor Ron, I was wondering, um, you know the parable of the the seed sower, correct? Yes. I have become. I have been and have become at a point in my life that I'm the seed that's being choked out by the briars. Can I become the seed that is, that is grown in the soil, the good soil? And I've been making a, uh, a, a progression in my life to change that. And I've been reading the Bible, going to church regularly, but I just, I just feel like at this point in time, I can't hear God. Um, you know, I, I pray, I meditate on the word. I, I pray for, I pray until I fall asleep every single night, and I'm devoting oh time to God. I'm, I'm really trying to pursue God, and I just, I, I don't know. Yeah, let, let me help you, Dustin. I, I, 
uh, I'll, I'll encourage you. I can promise you that. Let me ask a question first. How long have you been saved? Uh, since I was like 11. Okay. I'm 31. Okay, so so 20 years you've been walking with the Lord. A couple of things, Dustin, and I think this is really important. So if if something I say doesn't make sense, slow me down and, and ask me the question again. Um, one of the things that we need to learn as we grow in our walk with Jesus is to walk by faith instead of by sight, or in your case, I would add by feelings. When people say to me, well, I don't feel God anymore. We all remember what it was like when we were young in the Lord and when God was speaking to us all the time and goosebumps were everywhere. And we, we opened the Bible and it was like the words jumped off the page at us. Um, and that's great. But real life is just walking with Jesus every day. And growing in confidence in him, not in confidence in you, not in confidence in circumstances or feelings, but just growing confident in him based on the promises that have been made us in the word. You know, Dustin, when I first got saved, now I've been saved for 30 years. It was 30 years in February. And and I remember um, uh, those early days. And when I say early days, I'm talking for three or four years um, when when I was experiencing little what I called mini miracles all the time, and and God would meet me with a with a word in, in exactly the right time, and and I'd get up every morning so excited to walk with Him because I knew I was going to hear something from Him, and I remember thinking that that Lord I can't wait until I get to that point where I hear from You perfectly. You know when you're a young Christian you you hear things and you have to discern whether it's from God or if it's from the other spirit, or whether it's just your your own mind conjuring up things. And um, uh, I thought, well, I'll, I'll finally get mature enough. We're all here so perfectly. I won't make any more mistakes. And Dustin, that time never comes. So what God wants to do with you at 31 is he wants you to trust him wherever you are, whatever you're doing as, as unto the Lord. One of the things you cannot do, Dustin, is expect that just because you read more or pray more, that God is going to be more pleased with you. What he wants you to do is learn to accept the fact that he's already thrilled with you. Think about what you just said to me. You said that you go to sleep praying nightly. Do you know how exciting that is for the Lord? Do you know what he thinks about when he thinks about you, he's thinking about, well, Dustin's going to talk to me today. He's going to talk to me tonight. He's going to fall asleep again. And, and it thrills his heart. And what he wants you to do as you mature in your walk is simply to trust that, to trust the promises made in the word rather than um, go by feelings or, or by circumstances. Learning to walk by faith rather than by sight is an enormous part of our sanctification. And there are times when God will send you through some really quiet times. You remember the story about Elijah and the pro- with the prophets at Baal. Um, uh, after after that victory, you know, he was looking for God in the in the fire. He was looking for God in the wind. He was looking for God in the earthquake. But but when all of the the big noises went by. God was there in that still, small voice. And Dustin, what he's trying to do now is prepare you to be sensitive to that still, small voice on an hour-by-hour, even minute-by-minute basis throughout the day. So if you will get up every day and and just you honor the Lord by, by doing what Paul said, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, uh, then I promise you your heart will prove to be one of the fruitful hearts. Now, let me also say something else, Dustin, about that parable. Uh, and you and your application of it was correct for you personally. But remember, that is just a parable about one thing and one thing only. It's not about who's saved or who's not saved or who's fruitful and who's not fruitful. That parable is all about sowing seed. And the seed Jesus defines as being the word of God. So as you scatter seed wherever you go, I promise the power of the Holy Spirit will be there with you. So um, keep reading your Bible. Do it just to meet with Jesus who loves you. Um, uh, keep keep praying uh, because you talk to the one that you love. Uh, keep offering your body as a living sacrifice every day. 
Keep sharing your faith with other people. Not a not a go on the street and turn and burn kind of messages, but just let people know that you're with Jesus. And um, according to Paul's letter uh, to Philemon, he says, I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing that you have in Christ. That's the sixth verse. And when when you do that, then then the presence of the Lord will be all over you and your confidence will absolutely grow. Be diligent not to let anything crowd out your time with the Lord, but enjoy your time with the Lord. Instead of putting pressure on yourself to hear or to, to get some certain feeling, just enjoy the fact that the, the honor and the privilege that every day, every day, Dustin, you get to be with Jesus. And then what will happen is your labor will turn into a labor of love which really isn't labor at all. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. Um, I really feel the Holy Spirit coming over me, and I really just appreciate your words and your uh, your encouragement, and I really feel like they're from the Lord right now. Thank oh, you so thank much. You, thank you, Dustin. Call back sometime and check in with me, okay? Yes, sir. Bye. Uh, God bless. <laughs> What a, what a phone call to start the week off with, start the month off with. Um, you know, I, I just, young people especially, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm almost 70 years old. Um, I've been walking with the Lord now for 30 years. And when I see somebody or hear somebody like Dustin, who's 31 years old, that means he's got nearly 40 years of walking with Jesus to get to the place I am. And he is going to experience so much in his walk with the Lord. And God is going to use him to do such marvelous things. Uh, Dustin, thank you. That call made my day. Uh, you're 31. I didn't get saved till I was 39. So if you were starting from scratch today, you have a nine-year, or eight-year rather, head start on me when I started with the Lord. God bless you, man. Thank you so very, very much. Um Let's go to, got to see where I got here. The silence is me waiting for my computer. I'll go to another call that I got while we see what's happening with that. Here is an anonymous question. Oh, uh, it says, uh, I listened to your sermon yesterday and thought it was cruel. How could you expect a woman to give up control of her body? Um, anonymous, I'm sorry you thought it was cruel. Um, you remember that everything I said to women, I also said to men. I, I emphasize the, the, the equal accountability, the absolute quality of the passage. It's first Corinthians chapter seven, the first five verses. Um, I wanted, especially women who I know that this is difficult for. To understand that God isn't asking anything of them that he hasn't first done for them. Uh, and I, I don't know how I could have been any more sensitive and taught the passage. So I'm, I'm really sorry you were disappointed. I'm sorry you thought it was cruel. But clearly you don't know my heart. And I would ask you to look at those five verses again. Read them. It'll, they take just, just a minute. Read them ten times. And then ask, did, did I say anything unbiblical? Did I say anything that wasn't consistent with the intent of the passage of Scripture? And so I think if, if you do that, you'll find that it wasn't me being cruel at all. It's just your flesh rebelling against something that God says he wants you to do for him. You know, Anonymous, we call the Lord, Lord. I mean, when we pray, it's Lord this, Lord that. When we call him Lord, we're putting him in charge. That means we've got to do what he says. And again, the passage that I taught yesterday was about as clear as any passage of Scripture could possibly be. I understand your flesh not wanting to be vulnerable. I understand that many women feel uh, as though they are not safe uh, and I don't mean in terms of abuse. God would never expect, and I made this point yesterday, God would never expect a woman to subject herself to any kind of physical or sexual abuse, period. 
But in the normal course of sexual relations between a husband and a wife, the truth is, Anonymous, your body is not your own. It belongs to your husband. His body is not his own. It belongs to him. And to withhold sex from your husband is a sin. It's a sin. It's that simple, that straightforward. So again, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. Um, It wasn't my heart. I tried to be as sensitive as I possibly could. And yet at the same time, um, this is an opportunity for you to to read that passage. Uh, In 10 minutes, you can read it eight times. Uh, Read that passage. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. And this gives you an opportunity to demonstrate that your faith in God is real, that you really do trust him, and you're going to do what he told you to do. Oh, I don't like when people misunderstand me or or misunderstand my heart. Let's go to Floresville and talk with our friend Margaret on line one. Margaret, long time no here. Thanks for calling. Oh, no problem. Um, I've had Natalie here for a couple weeks, and yesterday she went to Sunday school, and she learned, again, that Jesus never, ever sinned. Her questions Mm -hmm. are, does that mean he never cried as a baby, and did Jesus know that he was God when he was a baby or as a little kid? Uh, yeah, you know, um, uh, th- th- those are great questions. I love the questions that kids answer. We get some of those kinds of questions, Margaret, in our foundations class as well. Uh, I, certainly, Jesus cried. Uh, he, he he went through all the things that we went through. Crying isn't a sin. We know that Jesus, now this is something that's amazing to think about. We know that Jesus never cried uh, like our kids do because they're frustrated or because they're selfish or they want to be fed right now. We know he didn't cry for those reasons because he didn't have a sin nature like our babies have. So yes, he cried. Not only did Jesus cry as a baby, Margaret, but he continued to cry uh, throughout his life. In fact, we see him on a couple of occasions in the scriptures weeping and one time weeping bitterly at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. So yes, we know that Jesus cried, but crying is not a sin. Uh, he didn't cry because he was throwing a fit or throwing a temper tantrum or demanding that his mother feed him. Uh, none of those things. He cried uh, because that's part of what babies do. Now, as to whether or not he knew he was God, uh, we know that Jesus learned as he grew. So whatever the process was, um, we know that Jesus understood. I have the opinion, Margaret, and there's no way that we can prove this, but I am of the opinion that Jesus knew who he was and what his mission was when he was 12 years old. I think personally that's the reason that one childhood incident is reported to us in the gospel accounts uh, of Jesus going into the synagogue and and literally teaching all of the adults. And then when his mother freaked out, you know, do you know what we've been through today? You know, how could you do this to us? And he looked at his mother and he said very respectfully, Don't you know I had to be about my father's business? Now, 12 years old, of course, is when a Jewish boy would be bar mitzvahed. That's when they took the step from childhood into adulthood. And uh, in Jesus' case, I think that's when he became aware that he had a special mission and his father was the heavenly father. And I believe that's when he knew that he was God. And then he goes silent again until he appears at about 30 years old. Imagine how frustrating that 18-year period of time was uh, before he actually began his uh, earthly mission. I, 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 I can't imagine how frustrating it must have been waiting for that voice to say, uh, it's time. Uh, and of course, we know that occurred in John chapter 2 at the wedding in Cana. Why do you tell me about this? He said to his mother, as my, my hour has not yet come. And then evidently at that moment, the Holy Spirit said, yes, it has. Do this now. And then he did exactly what he was supposed to do. Good questions, Margaret. Give our love to Natalie, please. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Kirby from our email inbox. 
In your sermon yesterday, Paul said he was not married in 1 Corinthians 7.1. Is he saying that because he was not married when he wrote that, or is it that he was never married? Kirby, that's a great question. Uh, um, we don't have any historical record at all of Paul um, uh, ever being married. However, we know that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, and one of the requirements of being a member of the Sanhedrin uh, as a Jewish male, uh, even a young man, uh, was that you had to be married. So uh, Paul, like every other Jewish uh, uh, man, uh, wanted a wife. He wanted children. Um, children children in Jewish culture especially were considered a, a blessing from God. Solomon writes to, to have a quiver full of them. So we can safely assume that Paul was married, um, probably that he had children, um, but we don't have any way of knowing that for sure either. Uh, and then what remains is, uh, because we know he was unmarried uh, and practiced celibacy, uh, we also can then uh, presume that um, he lost his family uh, when he was converted to Christ. Jesus told Ananias, I'll show him the many things that he must suffer on my account. And certainly one of those things would have been the loss of his family, which was a very normal response in a Jewish community uh, when somebody would, would, would find Jesus and, and get saved. Uh, their Jewish family members would just disown them, cut them off, um, treat them as though they were dead. Sometimes they uh, even had uh, funerals for them. Um, burying them because to them they were dead. So uh, one of the things Paul would have suffered was the loss of his family. Uh, and of course, we know that uh, uh, Paul was literally offered himself to God of sacrifice of everything that he was in it. So that's, I think, uh, uh, Kirby, uh, the the way to look at Paul's relationship status. Here's another question from our email inbox, this one anonymous, uh, about the same message, I guess. He said, you said that if the marriage bed, the marriage relationship is cold, that it's a sign of a similar relationship with Jesus. Is that the responsibility of the husband to fix? How do we identify the shortfall and how do we fix it? Boy, that's a loaded question, anonymous. Um, what I said in the message yesterday, and most of the people listening to this program didn't hear our Bible study yesterday for sure, but, um, you know, uh, Paul is telling us that 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 we, we simply cannot, as Christians, we simply cannot accept a lukewarm or cold physical relationship. That kind of a relationship dishonors the Lord. And, and marriage uh, is a sign of uh, the husband and the wife, a, a picture of Christ in the church, and, and it has to be passionate. Um, is it the responsibility of the husband to fix? Uh, anonymous, it's the responsibility of, of whoever is allowing the lukewarmness to to sort of uh, overrule in the relationship. Um, the husband can only fix the husband. The wife can only fix the wife. Too often we focus on the other person, our spouse. And in fact, uh, what we need to do is 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 focus on our response. Now, two things. You said, how do we identify the shortfall? How do we fix it? Uh, identifying the shortfall is easy. You know if your relationship with your wife is godly. You know if it's passionate. You know if you're settling for less than God's purpose. Um, so fixing it is easy. You just got to get close to Jesus. Fall more in love with Jesus than you've ever been before. Uh, remember that, that he's your Lord. You're a servant. He says it's your responsibility to make your wife feel like the most beautiful, most loved, most precious woman on the face of the earth. Um, uh, sit down with your wife, read the Bible to her, pray together. And I promise you, uh, the physical relationship, the sexual relationship uh, will take care of itself, but it's something that you've got to be willing to do. So um, marriage counseling is good in these situations. Uh, it's always better to counsel uh, the husband and the wife together. Um, but, but the thing is, we cannot fix this without the power of God's Holy Spirit. And we've got to understand that since it's our purpose to please God, 
Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, find out what pleases the Lord. Well, in terms of the Bible study yesterday, the way you fix the marriage relationship is for the husband and the wife to fall in love with Jesus individually so that they can fall in love with him together. And then as a result of that, they'll fall more in love with one another. And I can't tell you, you know, I, I realize that especially in marriage, we we become a little bit jaded. Sometimes our hearts become a little bit hard. We give up on even trying because we didn't get the desired response that we, we wanted the time before. Uh, and, and, you know, what we got to do is we got to say, wait, I'm serving Jesus here. And God will use you to win your spouse. Certainly it's what happened in my marriage. Paul, uh, Paul was used by God to win me to, to Jesus. And since Jesus grabbed me, um, you know, our relationship has been really, really good. So it's it's impossible for you to fix. It's easy for Jesus to fix. All you've got to do is give him that opportunity. Anonymous, thank you for the question. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Monday program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We are back. We love your phone calls. 210-340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-5757. Here is a question from Joel or Joel. He says, God's chosen people are Jews, so how can anyone say Jews will go to hell? Did God unchoose them? Um, Joel, God's chosen people are Israel. Now, please understand the distinction. When God chose the Jewish nation, uh, he, he said, they will be my people and I will be their God. God can never unchoose anyone. God's foreknowledge is perfect. So once he chooses them, they're chosen. However, there is a huge difference theologically between the nation of Israel and individual Jews. Uh, The Apostle Paul was a Jew who rebelled against Jesus until Jesus apprehended him. In chapter 9 of the book of Romans, Paul cries out. He says, I'd give, and I'm going to paraphrase it, um, because I think so often we we don't understand the impact of what he said. In the first five verses, he's offering to give up his place in heaven if only his brothers who are Jews would hear and believe. Now, if individual Jews didn't go to hell, then Paul would never have had to make that statement. It would have been a, a silly, nonsensical statement. So the difference between Israel and individual Jews is important. Not all Israel is Israel, Paul says in Romans chapter 11. What it means is not Israel, the word means governed by God. This is a play on words. Not uh, all Israel is governed by God. And of course, only those who believe in Christ are going to go to heaven. Individual Jews have to make the choice to serve Jesus just like anyone else. And that is a lie that the devil has sort of really entrenched in in the hearts, especially of Jews. Uh, you know, when Jesus was was speaking to the religious leaders, he said that you because you have the law, you think you're you're okay with God. But the law, he said, speaks of me. So, Joel, um, God's chosen people are the nation of Israel. And Jesus will rule and reign from the throne of David on this earth in the millennium. 
So every one of God's promises are yes and amen. However, if you go to the book of the prophecy in Zechariah, chapters 12 and 14, we see, uh, dealing with this when Jesus returns, that, that only one-third of the Jews who actually see Jesus return are going to repent and believe, and two-thirds are going to go away, and they, of course, will perish for all eternity. So God doesn't unchoose anyone. Um, he chose the nation of Israel, but every individual, Jew or Gentile, every individual has to make their own choice to serve Jesus Christ. They have to believe. Danny says, would you talk about raising godly kids and how we can avoid having our children reject their faith? Um, Danny, this is a uh, this ought to be a topic of discussion in every Christian household with kids. I'm going to give you a little bit of background on me before I really answer the question because the single deepest regret... Now, I, I did horrible things to Paula... I regret them all. But God's allowed our relationship to be such that it's like that's an old life, like we're watching an old movie. But the one thing I can never do, Danny, is raise my kids to be godly men. I was late in life when I came to Christ. My boys were 18 and 16. I raised them the wrong way. And so this question is so valuable, so important and reminds me that that I didn't do what I was responsible to God to do. Now, I'm forgiven. I don't do guilt. But oh, what regrets I still have. So Danny, the way to raise godly children so that they won't reject their faith is to make sure that your walk with Jesus is rich and full and passionate and loving. Make sure that your kids know that when you Things go wrong in your life, you turn to Jesus. When you need God's help, they need to see you pray. They need to experience prayer with you. They need to, 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 to hear you uh, ask them to forgive you in those moments, and we all have them, in those moments where you're, where you're ungodly, where you raise your voice or you say ugly things. Maybe your kids hear you and your wife arguing. You need to be able to sit down with your kids and say, you know, what what dad just did there is wrong. And I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And if you guys will pray for me, I'm going to make sure that never happens again. And see, then they know your faith is real. When you go through a financial crisis or a health crisis, Instead of freaking out like the rest of the world, your kids need to see that your confidence is in God. Not a, a false confidence, you know, by his stripes were healed. Not that kind of nonsense. But, but just crying out, Lord, thy will be done. But please help. Share the answers to prayer with your kids. I guess what I'm really saying, Danny, is you got to walk, not just talk your faith. you got to walk it out. And when your kids know that their mom and dad's Jesus is real and a source of joy and a source of safety, um, believe me, um, when somebody tries to steal their faith, the Holy Spirit is going to surround them and protect them. So make sure your walk with Jesus is good. Of course, we have them in church, um, a church where, where everybody's being fed. Of course, we do family devotions together and we talk about things. The lines of communication between moms and dads and their children always needs to be open. Um, you know, you can't protect your children from this world, but you certainly can equip them to walk with Jesus through this world, preparing them for the things that are coming about when kids go away to 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 college or or go out and, and, and get their first jobs, they're gonna be exposed to all kinds of of really evil things. And so you need to sit down with them and talk to them and let them know what they're going to experience. And that way they'll be ready. And as a dad you will have done your job. 
So the most important thing you can, two things, the most important thing you can do for your children is love Jesus and walk with him. And second is to love their mother. Make sure that they know that mom comes first in your life right after Jesus. And then the kids come. Good question, Danny. Thank you. Here is an anonymous question. Tough one for me. How do you deal personally with people who disappoint you? Well, anonymous, this this is really, really a hard one. It's It's not as hard now as it used to be. And I think I've learned that when I was really disappointed in people, when, when they walked away from God or they did something bad or they, they fell away or uh, tried to, uh, you know, I've had people over the years uh, tried to destroy the work that God is doing because they disagreed with something. And I remember crying, crying out to God, God, I, I love this person. I, I pray for this person all the time. I've been praying for them for years. And, and why did they do this? And, and what the Lord taught me is not to have any expectations of people. And then what I'm able to communicate and I know this is hard to to understand the difference because I can't communicate it as well as I would like to. But I want people to know that I'm never disappointed in them even though there are times when I'm disappointed for them. If I don't have any expectations of people, I don't get angry at them, I'm not disappointed in them, but I, I can be disappointed for them because they're 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 settling for way less than God's best. And just for me personally, and this may be different for everybody, but for me personally, the single biggest disappointment that I have for people is when they settle for less than God wants. When people are sort of phoning in their relationship with God when they're no longer working at it, when they're when they're 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 overwhelmed by fear. I gotta tell you, Anonymous, in this last year, um, in March now that we're in March, uh, it, it, this is a month that's been a year uh, since uh, the, the COVID pandemic shut things down. Changed changed our world. Out there world, the church world, everything changed a year ago. And um I am so disappointed for people. Again, I'm not disappointed in them. I'm so disappointed for people who are still sort of locked behind closed doors, afraid of this thing. I expect that for unbelievers. But but when believers are no longer pursuing God with all of their heart, and the truth is you cannot pursue God with all of your heart at home. You can't have church you can't serve people. You can't use the gifts that God has given you to use um, over a, a computer screen. You can't do it. The body of Christ is organic. And we need one another. We need to see the gifts interacting. And there are just way too many people who've fallen out of the habit of coming to church. And they're the ones getting ripped off. And anonymous, my heart absolutely breaks for them. I pray all the time. I pray all the time. But in terms of just in general, when people are disappointing, I want them to know that our arms, our hearts are open anytime they want to come home. Anytime at all. And I think, especially here at Calvary Chapel, we've done that. Um, we see people coming back um, after having committed horrible sins, after falling away, after saying terrible things, uh, after breaking up families. Um, they always know that this is a place they can come back to and it's going to be exactly the same as it was before they left. And we're happy to see people when they come. So I hope that's what you meant. I, I just try not to have expectations of people at all. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Linda. Uh, Pastor Ron, what is the Christian view of white privilege? 
um, the, the real Christian view of white privilege then is that it's nonsense. Uh, I realize it's one of those hot emotional topics right now. Uh, I know there is an enemy and a whole bunch of people that he's using that try to make us feel guilty for being white, uh, for not having been born um, in in poverty or in hardship uh, like so many others. But um, we need to remember as Christians, the issue is sin. Sin. Anybody who's prejudiced, anybody who looks down on other people, is in sin. It's a salvation issue in many cases. Now, here's the thing that, that we really have to be careful of. Um, according to Acts chapter 17, it is God who determined who we are, where we live, and what we look like. And just as it would be racist if I thought somebody who is uh, is is a person of color uh ought to look down on who they are or feel bad about who God made them. Remember, we're all made in the image of God. That diversity matters to God. Um, The truth is, um, it's equally sinful for somebody to look at me and say, because you're white, um, you're inherently racist or there there are, are inherent privileges that you have when in fact... Acts 17 says that God determines who we are, where we live, the time we live, and what we look like. So, Christian view of race ought to be the easiest thing in the world. In fact, we have the answer to all of the race problems in, in, in um, prejudice issues in the world. That's Everybody needs Jesus. And if they don't know the Lord then all this stuff makes sense to them. They're convinced. But those of us who know the Lord, I've been told, Linda, that that um, um, even though I would say I'm not prejudiced, I've been told by people that I am. Well, well what makes you think you can judge me? Well, well, you're white, and you're not even aware that you're prejudiced. They would define that as living in white privilege. And I want to remind them, I have a beautiful black wife. I have two children who the world classifies as black. We've been together, Paul and I, for more than 50 years. It just makes no sense to me that Christians are buying into this nonsense. And uh, I think it's an issue of rebelling against God and his plan for your life. By the way, Linda, the same answer would go with those who considered themselves um, born in the wrong body. Somebody born a male who says, I, I'm really a female inside, or a, a, a woman who says, I'm really a, a male inside. Um, they're rejecting the God who made them who they are the way they are. And that is nothing more than rebellion. So by and large, Linda, this is a an issue of sin and salvation. hope that answers your question. Reggie says, Pastor Ron, will we have the Holy Spirit when we are in heaven? Reggie, our relationship with the Holy Spirit will be fuller, richer uh, than we can possibly imagine. But we will not have the Holy Spirit. I hope this makes sense because we'll be surrounded by God, the Holy Spirit in heaven. You know, the Holy Spirit now is given to us as a deposit. You know, uh, I'm old enough to remember when we used to take pop bottles back to the store and get a dime for them. So we'd redeem the pop bottle. Um, that was a deposit. And now uh, that deposit given the Holy Spirit is only a, a promise that will be fulfilled when we are in heaven and we see the Holy Spirit in all of his glory. We'll see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in all of their glory. So we won't have the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit will have us, as will the Son and the Father. Good question, Reggie. Marty says, and Paula, let me give you a heads up. You might want to talk about this a little bit on Thursday as the Lord leads. Marty says, Pastor Ron, what is Paula's role in the church, and how much do you depend on her input in managing the church? 
And then she asks, do you tell her, Paula, everything? Um, Paula's role in the church is simple. She is my wife. Um, people don't look at us and say, oh, there's Pastor Ron. They'll say, there's Ron and Paula. Uh, her role in the church is um, is that she is my wife. She is my helper. I depend on her for um, more than I can adequately communicate in, in, in the rest of this radio show. Um, now, while that's her role in the church, Paula is exceptionally gifted, and and she does a lot of things. Paula is sort of our church's encourager-in-chief. Um, you know, the funny thing, and a uh, long, long time ago, this used to hurt my feelings a little bit, but, but um, actually, we don't see each other very much in church. She's here all three services on Sunday. She's here on Wednesday. She's here on Friday. And and obviously, when I'm teaching, I can look out and see her because she's sitting in the front row. Um, but um, the, the minute that the, the sir, one of the, the one service is over, Paula is instantly out. I mean, she's she's talking to people, uh, meeting people, um, um, using the gift that God has given her. Uh, I mean, that's just what she does. And and I don't see her typically until the music starts up again. Then she comes up and and uh, stands next to me during during worship. So I, I really don't see her that much during the day. I'm using my gifts. She's using hers. Marty, one of the things I do after service is I need to get off my feet for for a little while. Uh, I, I don't have that much time between services, and there's time when people are coming up to talk to me. So Paula's out doing what Paula does, and and uh, I'm just preparing for the next service. So uh, her role is whatever God asks her to do. Now, Paula is also, now it's not been this way during the pandemic. Uh, we've, we've decreased our worship team, but Paula uh, is on the worship team. Um, by the way, we're going to, to uh, have our full worship team back again starting Easter, uh, which is, I think, April 4th this year. And um, uh, Paula will be back on stage, and she'll she'll be using her beautiful voice. That will be uh, another role that she has uh, in the church. So um, she's doing all of that. Um, and and, uh, and the church, this is, it's work day for us. So we're at work. Now, how much do I depend on her input in managing the church um, I, I don't depend on her at all in terms of managing the church. I want to keep a separation there because Paula is the one, Marty, that I go to, um, the first person I go to in important matters. Uh, if we're thinking about ordaining somebody as an elder or if we're, or if we're thinking about uh, ordaining somebody as a pastor, uh, Paula is the first one I go to. Paula, I think the Lord is leading this. Um, would you pray for them? Pray for me? And I'd like to know what you think. Um, it's really important. I, I, Paula is my partner. I depend on her for that kind of in, input. Um, she's the only person in my life, the only human in my life, who has all, who always and only wants God's best for me. So, of course, I want her input, her opinion. Uh, I ask her about messages and and things like that. Uh, um, uh, yesterday, with, with, I was so um, I struggled so with the message yesterday because I knew it would hurt people's feelings. Um, after first service, the first thing I did is we're standing there. I whispered in her ear, "Was I sensitive enough?" So, so, so I depend on her input in a lot of things, but not in the managing of the church. Uh, we had our annual business meeting yesterday, and um, and uh, you know it's where we talk about uh, the the previous year's um, budget offerings and expenses and things like that. And this morning, Paula said, "You know," and she she mentioned the amount of money that we got offered. And she said, "You know, our little tacky church—that's a lot of money." And 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 then she said, "You know, uh, I'm hearing that stuff for the first time, just like everybody else is hearing it for the first time." So in terms of just the day-to-day managing of the church, uh, I don't depend on her for that. Um, but, but all the important issues, well, I want Paul and I to be able to walk together in doing that. 
So um, the last question you asked was, do I tell her everything? Um, actually, we don't talk about, um, for instance, uh, people in the church together. We pray for people, but but um, if somebody's counseling, uh, I'm counseling somebody or she's counseling somebody, we don't talk to each other about that. You know, counseling needs to be um, private. And uh, I don't say, okay, what did they say? And what are they doing? And, and I certainly don't tell her that as well. One other thought here, Marty. Um, Paula's job here at our church, her, her number one job is to love people. And, and I, I call her kind of our love bomb. She loves people in this church. I mean, she truly loves people in this church. And so I won't tell Paula um, if somebody is being critical of me or or maybe there's some things going on in social media, people don't like what I said or uh, an example when, when we had a, an outbreak of COVID here in June, uh, there were a lot of people saying really awful things about me. I didn't tell her about those things because Paula's on my side. She's going to get mad at people and she can't love people if she's mad at them. So no, I don't tell her things. I want to protect her as well. I want her to be free to use her gifts in this church body. Uh, and um, I got to tell you, Marty, I am the most blessed pastor and 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 husband uh, in the world because Paula makes everything easier for me. So maybe Paula wants to add that on Thursday. Paula, that's that's up to you to decide or not. Marty, thanks for the question. Do I have time for any more? I don't have time for any more questions. Remember tonight here at Calvary Chapel, Monday, our Monday evening Bible studies at 7 o'clock. Ladies, uh, Lauren Blanton will be teaching. Um, Pastor Ken will be teaching the men. And uh, Chris Sanchez and Matthew Makasadia uh, will be handling the youth all at 7 o'clock. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Tell somebody how much Jesus loves them. God bless you. I'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.